When I first came across the idea of animal personhood, I thought it was a joke. Animals are great, but they're not human beings or persons. At best, the idea of animal personhood seems like some sort of abstraction for philosophers to discuss. People have too much time on their hands. But what I've learned over the last two decades is that the fight for animal personhood is not just an intellectual debate. It's a real world battleground in the effort to save living beings from abuse. And it has implications far beyond animal rights. The story of Ruby, a horse in Sonoma County, shows why. I've seen a lot of awful animal abuse stories in 20 plus years of animal activism. When you're dealing with animal cruelty, you've gotta harden yourself. It serves no one to burst into tears in the middle of a factory farm during an investigation. And that's what I've done, I've hardened myself. But occasionally, there's a story that leaves even me feeling completely broken. Such is the case of Ruby. Ruby was a skinny brown and white horse who was killed in Sonoma County just a few weeks ago. Sonoma authorities never gave her a name, so I'm giving her one, Ruby. Now, Ruby lived on a ranch whose owner was neglecting the animals on his farm. Neighbors report that in recent years, there was another mother horse on the property who suffered from a difficult pregnancy and collapsed on the ground. The owner refused to call a vet, so eventually the mama simply died. Another horse was blocked from his shelter this past winter because the owner left too many objects at the entrance to the shelter. And if you know anything about what happened this winter in California, the storms were brutal. Hail and rain and intense cold. And the horses left out in these elements and died from those conditions. But Ruby's case was, in the words of one veteran horse rescuer, the worst case I've ever seen. For whatever reason, Ruby was a target of aggression for dog on the property, a large shepherd mix. And over the course of a year, the dog would bark and chase Ruby across the field every day, preventing Ruby from eating, resting, or even using the bathroom. By the time of her death on July 10th, Ruby had suffered from months of terror and was a living skeleton. She was suffering from open wounds and showing bony ribs from starvation. And on her last day, July 10th, she gave up. She had no more strength. She was taste exhaustion by the dog. She fell to the ground and the dog immediately set upon her. The dog bit her and mauled her and started tearing her to pieces, piece by piece, as Ruby thrashed and shrieked to the point that neighbors rushed to the scene. What makes this story even more disturbing though is that it never should have been. The Sonoma authorities admitted that at least 15 calls or emails were sent about Ruby in the months before her death, complaining about the neglect on that farm. Indeed, on the very day of Ruby's death, a neighbor heard that poor horse's cries and called the police. And this is a video she took after she chased the dog away. This horse could have been saved. She should have been saved. But for many months, no one in the Sonoma County Police Department bothered to help. And the reason, according to the county's own statements, was quite simple. And this is a quote, animals are considered property. That's Sonoma County Animal Control Officer Brian Whipple explaining to the media why they didn't do anything about this horse who was being ripped to pieces alive. Even when field officers visited the ranch previously and were told by neighbors that this horse was being abused, they responded by saying there was no legal recourse. According to the authorities, Ruby was owned by a human being and even law enforcement therefore could not challenge her abuse if the owner did not care. The owner, as a person, had rights. Ruby, as property, did not. So neighbors who had called the police over and over again were forced to watch over many months as Ruby died piece by piece, all because to Sonoma County authorities, animals were just things. The Sonoma authorities' position, however, is not just scientifically dubious and morally bankrupt, it's legally wrong. The man who helped me understand this is a legendary attorney and professor by the name of Stephen Weiss, the founder of the Non-Human Rights Project. 
When I first met Steve about a decade ago, I assumed he'd be, well, like most professors, a little detached from the real world, maybe arrogant, socially awkward and distant. And I was shocked to find that Steve was kind of like my favorite uncle, warm, funny, and just ridiculously curious about everything I had to say. I remember him slurping down a vegan milkshake at Saturn Cafe in Berkeley with a big group of activists, none of whom are big names like him, and he just let people steal his fries. And his approachability made me want to understand more about his philosophy, even though at the time, I thought it was a little weird. And what I learned almost immediately after talking to Steve is that I was completely wrong about his strategy on animal personhood. It wasn't a pipe dream or just an abstraction. It was firmly rooted in the real world. Steve explained to me that the problem of animal cruelty was grounded in the legal system. What he told me is that as long as animals are legal things, property, we can't protect them from even the most horrific abuse because by definition, a thing, property, has no rights. So how can you take legal action, any action, protect something that has no rights? In contrast, what Steve showed me that if you can change the legal status of animals from property to persons, then suddenly you can start advocating for them within the system. Indeed, suddenly the system has protections already in place because persons, unlike property, do have rights. Steve explained to me that personhood was once denied to many marginalized human beings, including women and people of color. But there were a number of groundbreaking legal cases like Somerset versus Stewart that eventually recognized the personhood of all human beings. The same, Steve explained to me, can be done for non-human animals. And here's the key bit. When you achieve it for one species, this legal recognition of basic personhood, you don't stop there. Once the legal and political system recognizes that some animals have legally cognizable interests in some contexts, it's impossible to stop that principle from spreading everywhere. But if you don't work to recognize animals as persons of rights, then it's hard to do anything for the animals. Because again, by definition, they're just invisible to the law. And that explains what happened to Ruby. To Sonoma County authorities, she was not a person, she was a thing. And even when it was obvious that she needed help and rescue, the authorities refused to act. She was just a piece of property, invisible to the law. But here's the key bit. There's nothing in the law that demands this result. The property status of animals is a legal fiction invented by courts in direct contradiction to what all of us learn in second grade biology. That animals are not things, they're living beings with feelings. But because courts invented this flawed account of animals largely on behalf of the livestock industry, they also had the power to correct it. They can rule that living beings are some ones, not some things. So that's exactly what happened for people of color in the Somerset case when an escaped slave was brought into court on criminal charges. The judge in the case looked upon the slave and made an observation that was obvious to all of us in retrospect. There's a difference between a human being and property. But the Somerset case was not just about that one judge. It was a product of a mass movement that had been working for years to get to that point. The judge would not have taken the arguments in Somerset seriously, if not for the extensive educational and outreach efforts made by activists within the legal profession and beyond. And he would not have even had a case to rule on if not for the fact that James Somerset's friends chose to rescue him and break him free from captivity. And now history is gonna have a chance to repeat itself again because the question of personhood is being forced in the legal system by an act of rescue. But this time, the rescue involves animal rights. There's a little bird in Sunrise Farms, just like Ruby, who is a living skeleton who had no other hope. She was starting to death, barely able to walk or stand. But unlike what happened to Ruby, we didn't wait for the authorities to act. 
We didn't accept their excuses. We rescued her ourselves, giving her the life that she deserved. And that little bird, who I'm naming Ruth, lived a long and happy life. We rescued Ruth because she was a person. She is a person, a bearer of legal interests that we had the right to defend. And by rescuing her, we made her visible to the law. And now we're being charged as criminals for doing so. But the fight over Ruby and Ruth is not just about animals. As the connections to the Somerset case show, the fight ever expanding the concept of person is a fight that has benefited human beings as well. And even if you and I are not currently in the same powerless state that Ruby and Ruth were in, personhood should matter to us all. Because all of us, at times, are treated as mere commodities by people who have more power than us. You see this in the way that our nation's economic policies have skewed towards the ultra-rich, giving immense benefits to billionaires, like the infamous carried interest rule, while many people are struggling to make rent. You see this in the way that Wall Street banks are bailed out while students are unable to make their loan payments and are loaded down with an impossible debt. You see this in the way that our government subsidizes factory farms and fossil fuels, engines for cruelty, even as wildfires caused by climate change literally are burning people alive. In all these instances, our system failed to recognize there's a living being whose interests are being violated, who's being treated like a thing. And the best and perhaps only way to ensure that does not happen any longer is to create a system where even the most powerless among us are protected. I've called this the moral stress test. How does our legal and political system treat not the powerful, but the powerless? How does our legal and political system handle these hard cases that stress its ability, its capacity to do the right thing? After all, every society treats the powerful as persons. The measure of a truly good society is one that treats the powerless as persons too. In just a few short days, we're gonna be asking the legal system of Sonoma County that question. And the jurors of that community are gonna answer that question too. And as the legal system works out its answer to this question, it's not just my freedom, but the fate of all the animals of this earth, human being and non-humans, that's at stake. If the courts make the wrong decision, I and my co-defendants could go to jail for a long time. If the courts make the right decision, it's gonna unleash a new wave of progressive change not just for animals, but for human beings. Because finally, even the most powerless beings will be visible to law. Finally, animals will be seen for who they are, not what they are, but who they truly are.